Welcome everyone to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, today we continue the series on God and government, a course that I'm teaching at Hilltown Baptist Church. This week is week four, and since I was away this week, my friend and fellow teacher Brad Lanning taught the class about uh, stewardship of citizenship and what it means as Christians to be citizens today, and how we should be involved in the political process. So I think it's a very interesting episode, a very good one, and I really appreciated Brad for teaching it, and I think that you will enjoy it very much as well. So without further delay, Brad Lanning teaching week four of God and Government. All right. Is everybody ready? <laughs> we'll look at the tattoos first. <laughs> All right. First off, I want to apologize in advance that you have to deal with me. You guys have been very spoiled with Eric. And so I'm here to unspoil you, okay? So today we're going to focus on the civic role that we play as Christian citizens, as individuals. Uh, what Basically, what's our responsibility as Christians in terms of how we operate in our individual sphere, as well as how we affect change in the civic and governmental sphere. So to begin with, uh, I think it's important to note that throughout Scripture, God is calling us to have an eternal perspective, to see the big picture, and to think long-term and multi-generationally. We see this pattern throughout Scripture. And certainly it's a difficult practice in our culture that focuses on short-term gains and instant gratification. But nonetheless, it is a biblical expectation of how our cognitive faculties and our hearts should be oriented. Um, so to begin with, if we could read Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, and how about Psalm 78, 5 through 6? Sorry, I'm pulling that up now. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> Take your time. I need to fill the time in anyway. So. <laughs> um, he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children get on board, rise, and tell them to their children. Okay. And how about Luke 1.50? And Mary stayed um, with her about three months and then returned to her home. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and his mercy is upon generation after generation for those who fear him. Okay, thank you. So we see that there's this pattern within Scripture that is calling us to think in the long term, to think generationally, to think about our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Certainly this would include matters of government, um, so we are called to have an eternal perspective to see the big picture and think long term, but also in a general sense, we know as individual citizens, we're called to seek 
uh, to make a positive contribution to the welfare, prosperity, justice, and righteousness of a city or nation that we live in as citizens. Um, and we see this in Jeremiah 29, 7. Oh, that's me. That's you. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Okay. And Isaiah 1.17. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the root, ruthless, <clears throat> bring justice to the orphan, and plead to the widow. Okay, so we see in a general sense, as citizens, we're called to contribute to the peace, prosperity, justice, and righteousness of the community that we find ourselves in. Um, but now the question is, what does that look like? What does it look like in general? What does it look like specifically in our republic? Um, and as Eric kind of alluded to before, uh, it begins in the sphere of personal responsibility. I made this wonderful drawing. And so here's the self at the middle. So it starts with self. <coughs> Um, now, within the realm of, of personal responsibility, we have self-governance. So this would include self-control and discipline. Uh, Jordan Peterson, a psychologist and conservative thinker, recently popularized this idea that we should make our own bed in the morning before seeking to fight for universal causes and social issues. Um, the idea is that we bring organization to the chaos of one's own life prior to engaging in the larger societal efforts to bring organization and order. Um, if you, if, I don't know who has Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Okay. So we see this analogy in Proverbs that compares bad self-governance with bad civil governance. So the government, the governance starts at the level of personal responsibility. It starts with self. And without understanding our personal responsibility, we cannot understand the ideas that we aspire toward, like you know, universal human rights and, and this idea of justice for all. So helping us to understand the connection between the two will help bridge the gap between our understanding of personal responsibility as well as our expectations of our government and role as citizens. So the, the unique thing about the United States in our political context is that our system, our founding documents, were based on this idea and assumption that rights do not come from man. The government cannot give us rights. They cannot take the rights away. It's innate. It comes from God. So the government's role isn't to give or take away those rights. It's actually to steward and protect the rights that God has already given us. And that's a very unique thing to the United States. Um, so that while these rights have been given to us by God, it also comes with expectations of personal responsibility on our part in obedience to this same God who gave us those rights. If you look at one of our founders, John Adams, he really noted this and understood this principle when he said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. And you see this theme of liberty um, as well within our founding documents, this idea within the American political context of liberty, which we also relate and connect to the preservation of our rights. So the preservation of liberty is connected to the preservation of those God-given rights. But what is liberty according to scripture? Where does it begin? So to, to be true liberty, it begins with freedom to do the right thing. Can someone read Galatians 5.13? For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
Okay, so we see here in Scripture this idea that freedom begins um, internally. It's with the self. There's this connection between personal responsibility and having true liberty. Uh, it begins with the gospel. So uh, if someone can read John eight thirty four through 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Right. So, so the idea, according to Scripture, of true freedom, of true liberty, actually begins with the liberation from sin. It begins with the gospel. And only then can we, on a personal, individual level, experience liberty and, and freedom and understand that before we can project that out uh, into our other broader contexts. So we have a picture of the self being freed, transformed, and empowered by Christ. Then as a, being a responsible and sanctified individual can now extend his or her sphere of influence and godly activity outward. So I, I made a little drawing here. I have the self here with G. Um, I just made it like a sun for no reason, and I just made this up, so hopefully it's, it's good. So we have the self here with personal responsibility, but really being guided by the gospel um, and being free within, and that leading to a broader sanctification within us and helping us to be responsible on a personal level. So that's where it begins. Uh, from there, our sphere of responsibility then obviously expands. We have a family. Maybe it's at work. Um, so it's not only difficult to imagine someone who lacks personal responsibility to self-govern, actually govern others, which we see, unfortunately, um, it is also likewise not proper for one who can't govern their own family to assume their responsibility on others. Can someone read 1 Timothy 5.8? Anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right. So we see this idea that providing for and being responsible over one's family is critically important. And to not do that, you would be considered even worse than a non-believer. Um, and we see this in church governance as well, that good family management is a prerequisite. Um, can someone read 1 Timothy 3, 4? He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Right. And so that is... Um, for those who attempt to have any type of leadership in the church, um, it's expected that you are, before you can lead the flock, that you can lead your own family. Um, can someone read Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine? And this is kind of getting into our work. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will, he will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. See, so we see this responsibility. Um, this personal responsibility uh, in our work as well, that when you are, take responsibility and ownership over your work, um, it could um, actually open the door for broader influence um, at work as well. And um, also marriage and children. Uh, Colossians 3.21. Uh, Proverbs, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Right. Um, and how about Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I wanted to give my wife that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but seriously. Uh, uh, 
Right, right, yes, yes, and that's true. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> so, um, I kid. So we, uh, so we see within the context of a, a Christ-centered family, we're starting to see this clear picture emerge that our authority is actually connected to responsibility. And this is best modeled by Jesus Christ himself. He had the authority, but he also took responsibility for things he didn't do by dying for our sins. And he addressed them and dealt with them once and for all. He took responsibility over his creation by entering it and dying for us, even as we were his enemy. If you juxtapose this to the tyrants that we've seen throughout history um, and currently in our world and the way they rule, they want all authority without any of the responsibility. So we're called to a different type of um, civic duty to different type of leadership, and that's best modeled in Christ. So it's this notion of slow growth and development leading to a broader projection of one's influence, and we see that in Luke 16, 10 through 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and the other, uh, to, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yeah. So the idea here is um, that you know when we have a little and we're faithful with that, we, are, we take on more broader responsibility. And then Luke thirteen eighteen nineteen. Did I give that to anybody? Uh, yeah, I have the thirteen. Oh, sorry. Second, but yeah. I was on the wrong one. Yeah. Give me a second. He said, "Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it?" It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Yeah, so again, this, this idea plays out, this pattern emerges in Scripture that we have smaller um, influences and spheres that when we're responsible and faithful within those spheres, then God entrusts us and opens up the door to broader uh, projection of our influence and enables us to operate in the more broad spheres of the church and of government. So what about our earthly citizenship? I want to harken back to that uh, eternal perspective, seeing the big picture, seeing, looking long term. Um, everything we do, first and foremost, must be for the enhancement, growth, and glorification of God's kingdom. I actually ran for Congress recently, and I always had to remind myself that God's kingdom was at primary but also that it was connected to this realm. God's kingdom being alive inside me through Christ and the Holy Spirit now compels me to work towards truth, justice, and righteousness among the nations of the earth as a responsibility given to me by God and my primary citizenship. In other words, my primary citizenship in Christ's kingdom both compels me and gives me the responsibility in accordance with my God-given gifts, his specific purpose for my life, and within the capacity he has given me and the context he has placed me in to bring his kingdom to bear within the earthly kingdoms where I, as one born again, now have secondary citizenship. But I think the point here is that Jesus is Lord of all, even Bucks County. So what ways can we bring God's kingdom to bear 
within our context. It might not be in government or not necessarily in church. Maybe it's our family or business. Um, certainly evangelizing to the lost, those who have rebelled against God's holy standard that he gave us in Scripture. And that could occur in any context. Evangelism, obviously, at your, at your work, within government, um, in church, in ministry. Or maybe it's talking to our rulers or writing to our congressmen, like Paul taught righteousness and self-control to Governor Felix. Or maybe it's to petition those in authority, like Caesar in Scripture. We can use our words and ballots to help the city. So here's the question. Do I need to be politically active? I, any thoughts on that? Yeah? Define yeah. yeah, well, in a general sense. I mean, I think we have rights and responsibilities as citizens yeah. of both heaven and earth, and we should fulfill those responsibilities. I think certainly we wouldn't want to break the law mm-hmm. in our political activism, but running for public office, I think, fits in with that. Supporting candidates who support our beliefs fits in with that. I mean, the hard, the hard question in my mind is, if Barnett is right, only 8% of the country believes the way we believe. 8% is a small number. How do you govern? So, and I agree with John Adams. Yeah. This constitution was founded for moral and religious people. So how do you govern the people? And we're seeing it this weekend. Yeah, and right. Heads are exploding everywhere right now. Yeah. How do you govern the people where 92% don't agree with you? Yeah. Is that is that what where was that statistic from? That was Barnes' poll. Yeah. He looks at uh, the, the nominal Christians. So eighty oh, okay. percent of yeah. Americans would claim Christ as their savior. Right. When you when you drill down, yeah. Only eight percent really read their Bible regularly, yeah. pray regularly, feel they have a yeah. personal relationship with God, uh, that He's a living God, that you know He created everything. So when you look at some of those particulars, yeah. only eight percent of the country really. Yeah by that, which does explain recent elections, by the way. Sure, right. <laughs> so I don't know. So I, I kind of took you far. If you no, know. that's okay. No, I think political activism yeah. is a question, but I think the answer is by means. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Anybody else? Wouldn't that go to being salt in the light of the world? I mean, you, you're not just salt and light in your area, but you can be everywhere. Yeah, yeah, everything you do for the glory of God, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And salt preserves, we, preserves the whole nation. Yeah, and certainly the best hope for our nation is spiritual revival, right? That needs to be at the center, you know, of the worldview shifts that we need to see. Um, it has to start, as I kind of was mentioning here with the gospel, um, working inward and then projecting itself out. Um, yeah, so I think it's important that we are active, but that doesn't always look the same to everybody. Sometimes it's, it's um, and I think most importantly, raising your children. What kind of children are you raising? What kind of citizens are you raising? Um, it could be running for office. It could be full-time ministry. You know, um, It could be at your job um, or starting a business, whatever that might be, and maybe contributing to candidates You know, if you're successful or getting involved that way. Um, so I want to get to the, to the issue of voting, which is kind of, I think, what you're we're segueing into here naturally. Um, so what's more important, the position or the person? The policy or the person? I'll throw a grenade in here, right? <laughs> yes. Anybody have any ideas or, or want to risk can you, can you giving your thought? Yeah, so when we're voting on a candidate, they're usually running on a platform, 
with varying policies. What, what is primary? Maybe they're both equal in your mind, but what do you think it takes precedence? The policy or the person you know, that embodies the platform? Policy. policy? I say person. But you say person? Because the person's going to do yes to policy or no to policy. Okay. Yeah, I can't trust the policy if I can't trust the person. Okay. <laughs> Plus, in a republic. So we have a little bit of, of both? In a republic, we're electing people to do our thinking for us, really. Yeah. It's not supposed to be tyranny of the majority. Yeah. Hmm. So Interesting. that would speak to the, the, the integrity of the person is what's Amen. important. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I th obviously they're both important. Um, and they're both related, as some of you um, have mentioned. You know, unfortunately, we really only know usually the public person. So it's really difficult to find out how trustworthy they are or if they're just political chameleons, as, you know, some of the people that I've rubbed elbows with and had to um, be around. Yes, that's true. And, and that's what I was going to mention, too. We can go off public statements, historical voting, um, and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's also important to remember that we'll never have the perfect candidate. Um, if you look at King David and King Solomon, um, so, so in matters of good governance, is the person or policy most, more important? I think both are important. Um, can someone read Romans 13.4? <laughs> Uh, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Can you read it one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll, I can back up to three. No. Kind of, so that was more of an error on my part, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Who would you would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So, so we have this idea that the government's role is to promote the good and to restrain or punish evil, right? So, I think while God desires all of us to be Christians. Um, Notice that the focus on the role of government here as outlined in Roman is more focusing on promoting policies um, than promoting, which really is assumed when you promote the good and punish evil. So while certainly being a Christian would provide one with a worldview um, that would most adequately do this according to God's standard, um, and it's something I look for, it's one of the first things I look for, I want to know that, um, in American history, um, it's not always the case that this plays out that way. And so in American history, if you see that, that there's some self-identifying Christians on both sides of the aisle, these are church-going people that um, have either proven to be incompetent or inefficient in terms of promoting the good and punishing evil, the God-given God primary role of government, so much so that it's actually weakened our nation without getting into any specific examples. Um, on the other hand, American history also has examples of non-Christians being very good at constructing policies that by even Christian standards do the best to promote the good and punish the evil. This is why, so when I was running for Congress, this is my, my opinion here, um, this is a very difficult, tense issue to talk through, but when I was running for Congress, I never shied away from telling people I was a Christian, and, I, and people knew it was central to who I was, it was central to my worldview. Um, but I didn't run on it. It wasn't something that I was running on. I ran on policies, and I, I made the case and the argument as to why the policies I was promoting did the best to promote the good and to restrain e and did the most to also restrain evil. 
So as Christians seeking to discern who we should vote for, we should be informed and study the issues and policies and do our best to discern and be good stewards of our voting privilege on behalf of the future generations in this country. So while the person is important and is paramount importance, and I never deny that, and it's usually determinant of worldview, you can really predict a lot of their policies based on their worldview and who the person is in most cases. Um, but at the end of the day, the person's going to go away. It's the policy that's going to have the generational impact and the long-term impact. So that's something I think you know that's important to consider. In our political context, we also have a constitution. Um, what's interesting about the U.S. Constitution specifically is that it was uh, formulated on Judeo-Christian assumptions about reality in general, but also uh, our nature and um, what it means to be human. The idea of separation of power acknowledges the fact that we are fallen and we can't be trusted with absolute power. The idea that we are all created in God's image, the, the idea that God gives us our rights, these are very Judeo-Christian ideas. So it, it is truly an exceptional document. Um, in this sense, it's much easier for a Christian public servant to t fulfill his duty to our Constitution, maybe not so easy in other countries. Um, but this man-made document is largely based on Judeo-Christian principles and assumptions. While not sacred, it does lean heavily on sacred doctrine from Scripture. Um, so uh, so I, I think, at least in the U.S., it seems that a good Christian leader should honor the rules that are not wicked and that were enacted through the proper means, in, in our case, the Constitution, um, if it doesn't contradict Scripture, which is first and foremost um, our guide. Uh, so what kind of policies does God view as just? So I think, first off, honoring sphere of authority, sphere sovereignty, which Eric really went into. Um, you know, example on this, uh, some hot topics that are going on, um, the difference between the, the sphere of authority that the church has as well as the sphere of authority that the government has, we might consider the border, right? There are some Christians and some government officials that think we should have an open border, that that's the compassionate uh, Christ thing to do. There's some Christians and government officials that think we should have a secure and closed off border and that that's the right thing to do. Um, but I think it's important to note that the church and the government have different aims, and they both could want the opposite things and both be doing their duty to God. So while in the government, you want your duty is to represent the people, their security, their interests, restrain evil, the church is looking for opportunities to minister the gospel. And so it's, if you are working in ministry and, and see this great opportunity, people coming across to preach the gospel to the poor, but as the government, you have different responsibilities. So I think it's important to not conflate the two, um, that you can both be doing God's will and actually want different things, but God is ultimately in control of the outcomes, right? Um, and I, that is something that I have, have had to think through. Um, you look at with Afghan re refugees, you know, as a government, um, you know, if, if I made it to Congress, I would caution on having people coming from a terrorist country that were unvetted, um, coming to our nation in, in mass quantities, I think that's the role of the government. But as the church, I think it's great that Hilltown is now opening up their door and being compassionate and seeking ways to minister and looking at it as, as an opportunity. So um, so as far as what policies does God view as just, I think um, having honoring sphere sovereignty and recognize the difference where the government's not overstepping the church and the church recognizes its boundaries as well. Yes? I mean, how do you reconcile that person? That's just my opinion, by the way. Yeah, anyway. no, 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 yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it makes sense yeah. what you're saying, but I just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so, I, so you personally yeah. would be in favor of the church showing compassion, but then a minute later you're, you're putting on your government hat and you're saying, no, no, keep them all out. Yeah. So how do you reconcile yeah. personally those two things? Yeah, so one, I don't think that we should, I think we should be operating on our Christian duty first and foremost, whether in government. So I don't think we're putting on a different hat. We have a different duty before God. Just like in the church, you have different responsibilities. I don't think they contradict. So my job or anybody's job in government is, is different than the church's job and their goals. Right? The government's goal isn't evangelism to the world, right? It's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible says is the role of government, right? But, but as the church, that is our role, right? So ultimately, God's in control of all the outcomes, and that's really what bridges it together. It's going to be God, you know, who ends up deciding who's coming over and who's not. But for someone in government, and this is, you know, my opinion, there's a lot of disagreement within the church, you know, on this, and I'm open to hearing other things. But in my opinion, so let me give you a personal example. I, I used to go to this pizzeria, and it sounded like, based off my conversations, that these, these pe- people um, from Guatemala were here illegally, right? As an as a average citizen, right, as someone that's a Christian, I, I hear he's, he's sending all this money back to his family. I think that's great. I think it's, there's something honorable about that, and I'm happy that he can feed his family, and he works so hard to do that, and I love him, and I appreciate that he's here, and if I talk to him and I have the chance to preach the gospel to him, I will. I'm not going to, unless he's a danger, I'm not going to go, you know, telling the, the government officials, this is just me, right? This is what the tensions that I've worked through in my life, an example. But if I was in that role of government, carrying out my duties to, to fulfill the law and the Constitution, which the law says that if you're not here legally, you shouldn't be here, right? Well, that's a different responsibility. Um, so that's, that's the way I see it, yeah. Sorry. We as a government, we already have a process set up for uh, immigrants. It's legal, it's a process, you go through it, and you don't disregard it. Right. What we're talking about here is disregarding those already law. in place right. laws. Right. Where just come on in, man. Right. <clears throat> The heck with the people that yeah. did it legally. And it's not that the church should want that, but see it as a, a differently, as an opportunity. If it does end up happening, if the government relinquishes its responsibility, and, 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 and even at the point where it's placing us in maybe potential danger, well, there's still an opportunity there, and the church needs to see it that way. That doesn't mean the church wants that to happen, right? Or wants the open borders, or wants this policy, but they're always looking at the opportunity to feed the poor. I don't know. Does that help clarify at all? That was just one example I was giving. I mean, we could go into many examples. I, that was just the first example that came to my mind. Yeah. Not, I didn't want to make an actual statement on that specific policy, but that's just one, one example. Um, okay. Any other thoughts? Just to follow up, I think that uh, you know, the state is designed to protect the people. Yeah. If you weaken the people, you weaken their ultimately their ability to help others. Yeah. And I think for Christians who are very frustrated and angry at the government for not letting them in, I think a lot of that frustration should probably be turned towards the church. Yeah. Hmm. Because of the church, if we were really doing what we had the ability to do, this was a big difference. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think you're touching on something very important. If we're talking about this issue, um, you know, the church should be concerned because uh, if the nation is weakened, right? If the nation itself is weakened, um, well, one, no longer is it going to be a place desirable, right? If if we're on a a, a a path that's not sustainable to maintain the prosperity and peace and security of the country, well, then maybe people aren't going to want to even come here to begin with. Right, and so if that's the case, who are we going to preach to, and and, and how many people are going to be hurt by it? Um, so that those are things to consider well, as well. Like foreign aid. Yeah. Right. All the money given to Pakistan. Okay. And, and people say, well, how about the homeless people in our streets? Well, what is the church doing? Question there. But high taxes. <clears throat> our money, our monies go to Pakistan, and we're giving out all these paying for all these different things, we're ultimately, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, that just was an example, but if we, like the whole tax thing about paying to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Well, and we're commanded to do that. But what it, you know, when you start drilling down on any of these things you're talking about, it gets really interesting. Yeah. It gets very specific. But the thing is, if, if the economy is weakened, Right, then we're not going to be able to help third world countries as right. much. Right. And theoretically, people on welfare. Right. I mean, it really, it, I think too many of us become one issue people. Sure. You know, and, and, and we throw like all of our energy yeah. into this. That's why it's important to be able to study and be informed about every issue that we can. And look at it not just as a singular issue in the in the current, but what are the broader long term, which is what we were talking about before, ramifications of that. For example, I my opponent supported the Paris Climate Agreement. Sounds great. Everybody loves clean air, right? We all want clean air for our children, but it didn't actually do what it was meant to do. And but it hurt us. It helped authoritarian countries, right? And so while some of these bills might seem noble on its face if we don't do our due diligence and dig down and drill down and, and, and understand the long-term impact, we could be doing more harm than good. So with the Paris Climate Agreement, it turns out it doesn't clean the air and it just weakens um, free nations, the free world, and it actually strengthens the hand of authoritarian countries. So that's one example as well, but it's important to be able to see the long-term effect. We're called to be discerning, to be prudent, to practice wisdom. So as the church, we should be ahead on that, right? We should be the thinkers. And historically, we have been, you know. I'm not saying we're not, we aren't now, but we need to continue that, yeah. So, anyway. Can you go back to yeah. the person versus sure. the policies? Um, it, it sounded like a lot of people were saying person. Sure. It sounded like you're leaning towards policy. Yeah. Well, I'm saying there's a connection. Usually, yeah. in most cases, the policy is going to be a reflection on the person and their worldview, right, and their character. So it's really difficult to disentangle them cleanly, right? But what I'm saying is the scripture, as it's de the, the scripture's definition of what the God expects of the government, is more of a focus on policy, right? Um, but does that mean the person doesn't configure? In most, in most cases, it does. But I'm saying in American history, we have examples of self-professing Christians that have supported policies that have been really harmful by Christian standards. And then vice versa. And look at some of our founding fathers, right? Um, and, and some of our best leaders, um, they, 
may not have been Christian, um, or maybe they weren't outwardly Christian, but they have they were more righteous in their policy formulations, um, more just, and that's by Christian standards. So it's not necessarily, it's hard to say one is more important, but I'm saying the Bible seems to say that this is the role of government, but you can't really disentangle that either from the person. And I think when I'm, when I'm looking at candidates, that's one of the first things I want to know. Are they Christian? What's their worldview? Who are they? I think that when we're trying to categorize the person mm-hmm. as much as we can, yeah. we can't see a person's heart. Sure. It's not a matter of whether they profess to be a Christian or not. It's a matter of whether they're, they have integrity. Or True. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The one example I like to use is like we all agree, I would hope we all agree that Pastor Tim is a good leader. But would he make a good president of the United States, right? Like, there's a, you have to... Yeah. Or would, would some of our presidents be good pastors? <laughs> Which we, yeah. So, yeah, dovetailing on um, not necessarily expecting the candidates to be Christian and, and believing that they're a good Christian... Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, at some point it's going to come out that I think vastly different than most people. Sure. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, the church has been dealing with disagreements for centuries. We're, it's okay. I mean, here's the we know how to do it. I mean, I, I believe that Trump was going to put conservative justices on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and overturn Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. And I voted for him. And again, that's a, a single... Topics. I get it that that might not yeah. be the best way to vote. Um, but I'm happy that I did. Yeah. But I really don't like him as a person. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if we're talking about am I voting for the person or the policy, I clearly voted for the policy. Sure. Because I just don't like him. Yeah. And yeah. He seems like a really nasty yeah. person to me. Yeah. Um, He's a good manager. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to get. The analogy I, I like to use. We're voting for a person. It's not the most Christian person or the most likable person. Yeah. It's the person that we believe will implement the, the best The most policies. Christian policies, even if they yeah. themselves aren't. Yeah. And that's kind of what I, that's what I was getting at. And I, I use the analogy. So I just want to, would you rather have someone cursing at you while helping you up or smiling at you while pushing you down? Right. Anyway, so, yeah. So if neither major candidate you can trust with their integrity, if mm-hmm. both of them fail, yeah, which is usually the case, I feel like, in, yeah, in history. Yeah, that's usually the case. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, just hold your nose. And yeah, go. that's what's going to matter to your children and grandchildren at the end of the day, you know. Um, it's, you know, I, I've, not to say that history is going to forget about the individual. Um, the influence of that individual will be more with the, generationally speaking, long-term speaking, about in the policy, so... Wouldn't it be more beneficial to see if they're leaning towards a Christian because Christians have a standard of living? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's one of the first things I look for. Yeah, I think it's important. Because they're going to have a better standard. Yeah, definitely. It's going to, yeah, you're going to see, you're going to be able to trust their foundational worldview and, and assumptions about that they share the same assumptions about what it means to be human, you know, what's the point of life. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, right. So do, should, should we be able to kill babies? Stuff like that. So, Brad, 
but you'll remember, of course, that the church has gotten a lot wrong in uh, yeah. our history. Sure. I mean, I, I always think of Lincoln's second inaugural, where he decried the fact that both sides were reading the same Bible, both yeah. sides hmm. were praying to the same God, yeah. but they were getting it completely wrong. Yeah. So, I, look, I think we have to be cautious about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I, but I think what you said, doing your due diligence is very yeah. important, knowing the Bible, yep. you know, being on your knees, trying to understand that, trying to get to know the person I think is important, to know whether they're using you, Mm -hmm. For some other higher yeah. cause, so but it's it's so hard to figure that out. Look, I think we have the best system of government in yeah. the world. Yep. But it is a big experiment. It is. Yeah. It's, it's straining at the edges right now. Yes. Yeah. Because we're not talking to each other. Right. So I, I think the the question of political activism I think is huge because I was politically very active through most of my career. And largely what it did was estrange people, it pushed people away. So I've worked hard to try and bring some of them back mm. into my life. But look, ultimately I think our responsibility is to share the good news of the gospel. Yeah. It's not to win elections, right. or to win policy debates, yep. etc. But so I think political activism is important, but if we if we're doing smash mouth right. political evangelism No, and it, it hurts the primary it cause. Does. It will it hurt the primary cause. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the, the, the cause of Christ, the gospel, and even your policies in the long run. So yeah. I think, you know, um, it's First uh, Peter 2 where he says that we are to be able to express the hope that is within us. He doesn't end there, though. He says with gentleness and respect. Sure. So yep. I think that's a key element that we've yeah. lost Definitely. Of, yeah. In our politics, yeah. both sides. That's a reflection, too, of just our culture's overall departure for, away from God, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about policies and uh, Christian living, many years ago, uh, I was selected to be, well, I had to go for jury duty. And the defense lawyer, uh, I, I'm, I've been trying to figure out what question it that was on the questionnaire. He says, I see you are a Christian. I said, yes, sir. Now, are you going to apply your principles and ethics in the decisions that you make on this case? I said, yes, sir, I will. And I thought that was what we all said. Good way to get out of jury duty, right? So the best lawyer asked me, and I thought, Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't wiggle out of it. That's funny. It was a... I'll just say child molestation. Oh, yeah. So, uh, he was convicted. Yeah. Hmm. I, I have questions about Chris's comment, um, and I don't know if you want to answer, if anybody wants to answer, but I also strongly agree that I think that when conservatives, I'll say, uh, Christian, Republican, whatever, uh, are, and, and this is true, I should, shouldn't just say Christian conservatives, like, when the political parties are arguing, you know, that's way more accurate, when, when both sides, both ends are arguing their issues, it's so nasty <coughs> that I don't think that we come across it as loving Christians sometimes yeah. when we're arguing the point. Sure. Yeah. I, I agree, that's huge. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yeah. 
And I just wondered how people feel if, they, if, if in general we agree with that or that, that, that one really yeah. is public to me. Yeah, which I, I think what you are kind of connecting to is that if, if, our, if our primary kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, that's how we should be conducting ourselves within the affairs of more of the temporal kingdoms, right? Um, and that should be alive in us, not only fighting for truth, justice, and righteousness, but also doing it in a loving and gentle way, um, for sure, yeah. Right. You know, I, where, where I, the church I came from, I would say I was one of the few people there that supported Trump. And I, I don't like him, but I looked at the policies and, and also who he was having around him. Sure. Which there were people that did love Jesus, from what I could tell, that, that surrounded him. And uh, I think that, you know, the bumper sticker, the yard signs, just me personally. I deal with a lot of, like a lot of my clients are liberals, you know, and I love working with them. They make and the best food. Pardon me? They make the best food, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. um, I, so for me, myself, you know, I, I was raised, my mom had me at the voting booth when I was like 17 or 18 years old, you know, but there's also very, you know, the thing about gospel, self, the gospel, right? The gospel is really Jesus, okay? So, in all those spheres, you know, work and government and being a citizen, a husband, a father, a grandfather, blah, blah, blah. And what's going to really guide me is like what Chris was saying about, you know, on your knees, scripture. You know, who am I in Jesus? I'm, I'm an adopted son. And I have to be very careful that I don't judge my brother or sister because that they may not think the way that I do. I do, you know, your Chris's point about the church has gotten it wrong many, many times, that's true. I like to think that the more we're in communion with Jesus, and what is that? Ultimately, you know, really drilling down, it's a life of faith, Repentance, pray without ceasing, right? So in communion with Jesus, that certainly will help us on the moment-to-moment, day-to-day decisions that we have to make in our encounters with you know, liberal, unbelieving clients. You know, uh, you know, as Christians, we all tend towards legalism. You know, a very legalistic brother or sister. You know, someone who, and this is kind of what I came from. A lot of people that voted third party because they just couldn't get themselves to, to, to vote for someone like Trump, regardless of, of the policies. And no, Roe versus Wade, all things considered, probably would not have happened if it wasn't for Trump putting those judges in. That's a huge thing, right? It's huge, yeah. So, I don't mean to be rambling. I just think that it's very easy to, to it's like, the church seems to either go towards real wokeness or Christian hmm. nationalism and both are deadly to, to the church yeah you know and it's I am so thank I just want to say I'm so thankful that Hilltown is actually talking about this because this is like so important whether people think it needs to be talked about or yeah. not you know but I just think it does come back to Jesus yeah and you know understanding government and that that's all very important but it really starts with us 
being sons and daughters, yeah. knowing that God, that we're, we're worse, we're really worse than we can imagine. Yeah. We're more loved than we're imagined. Mm. And we are part of the kingdom of heaven moving forward. Yeah. And to have the confidence and the power that we have the spirit of Jesus in us, pushing us forward. Amen. And as, you know, the world says, the world will know you're Christians, not by how we love other people, not how we vote, vote not how we taxes, but ha how do we love one another? Mm. That is what. Yeah. So I yeah. There well, I think the, in my, you know, for me, anytime I had a debate or a forum or a question answer session, anytime I was speaking publicly, I was always on my knees before I did it. I could never do anything without doing that first. Um, and so I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's paramount. Yeah. And pr prayer does change things. Yeah. I'm just going to say, again, going back to Lincoln's second inaugural, he end, ended it. This is after 600,000 men were killed, women were killed in that war, and they couldn't have been further apart ideologically. He ends the second inaugural with, we must not be enemies, we must be friends. Yeah. And then he helped the South. He helped the South. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably would have had a better reconstruction had they not assassinated him. Right. And having said that, I mean, I think the same is true here. Look, this is going to be an opportunity. This week yep. is going to be an opportunity because your progressive friends and family, their heads have exploded yeah. in the last couple of days. So don't provoke them. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, I think you don't surrender. You stand for truth. Think yeah. It's very important that we stand for truth. I, I started a progressive or a book club at the end of my career, so it's like eight guys. All of them are uber liberal, retired doctors. So if I'm not, but I'm I'm the guy who started it. I just wanted to see if we could talk mm. to each other. Mm. So we're one year into it now, and six of the first seven books are anti-racism books because everybody gets to pick their own book. Yeah. So. You know, and one guy, I call him Angry Dave, he's always yelling at somebody in the group. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. We're talking to each other. We yeah. break bread, we talk to it's each great. other. It's great. Look, I don't think, I can't see these guys coming to faith, but that's the reason I put it together, mm. that maybe someday they would hear the gospel, mm. and maybe someday come to faith. But at least we're talking. Yeah. See, I think that's not happening. Yeah. In the public square, doesn't help that we're on social media all the time. That no, doesn't help that either. It's not yeah. happening in the university. It needs to happen in person. Yeah. In public square. It ha it's going to start right here in this. Yeah. Room. What we're doing. Yeah. You're going to be able to talk to friends and family. Yeah. Without judging them and criticizing them, and it, you know, it's not like an Eagles game. Yeah. <laughs> High five if you win a policy debate. Yeah. Right? Right. That's a lot of the way it's being treated on social media. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know gospel, it means the Greek word for gospel is good news. Good news to me would be, be not overcome of evil, Romans 12, 21, but overcome evil with good. So good has more power than evil. Yeah, definitely. Good wins the day, right? Yeah, it wins history at the end. All right, so yeah, this is great. Good conversation. Um, so what kind of policies has God to be was just? We talked about that a lot. We talked through, obviously, legislation that's in line with God's law. Um, we went into, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade. So one thing we asked when we were looking at the policy is, you know, what needs to change or what stays the same and how do we discern this? You know, our, one way is, are man's rules and legislation in conformity with God's standard? Another is, are they in line with the Constitution that the government is duty-bound to uphold? 
Uh, so Roe, versus Wade, uh, Roe v. Wade and the Second Amendment issues being played out in the courts are examples of this the tension um, playing out right now. So how should we respond on uh, these topics? Well, it's really hard to cover them all, whether abortion, economics, welfare, immigration, marriage. But obviously, what does the scripture say about it is first and foremost, is this a specific commandment that it could fall under? Are there case laws from Israel that might apply? Any underlying principles, any penalties given, any proverbs that might apply? Um, what responsibility does each sphere have in that topic? What is the current situation? What do man's rules say about that? Which spheres are failing and how can they do better? Which spheres need to be corrected? Which spheres are abusing authority? What are the barriers to correcting the issue? These are all questions that we could be asking. Um, how do we pursue reformation? What man-made rules can help us? What are hurting us? Uh, what are the possible biblical solutions? Um, do they honor God, uh, God's justice and righteousness? Do they honor the rules of the game in our context? It's the Constitution. Is it a long-term solution? Is it feasible and achievable? Um, you know, one issue of abortion, we kind of touched on what the scripture say. This is more of an obvious, easy one. Um, you know, babies are made in God's image. They're known uh, from the time of conception. Um, abortion would be considered murder by biblical standards if we look throughout the Bible. Um, and so, sorry, I'm going fast because we're running out of time here. But so is there a right political platform or policy? So yes, all laws must conform to God's standard to be good, ultimately, to be good laws or at the very least, honor the patterns and structures of God's design. Obviously, there are freedoms within that, you know, like, should we be taxed 2% versus 3%? Obviously, the Bible doesn't really address this. Um, you know, should it be two years, three-year terms? Um, while no platform or candidate will be perfect, there are some that are off limits. Obviously, historically, the Nazi Party, um, the Communist Party. Um, so again, it's going to come down to our stewardship and our identity, which we've really drilled down to, I feel like, today. Uh, we are Christians before anything else, and all else must be brought into submission to Christ. Um, so that means to do that, we could either stay and reform or leave it and rebuild when it comes to policy. Um, but at the end of the day, we cannot compromise, right? Which is what you mentioned there. So we need to be a steward for Christ of all that he has given you, and that is whether it's authority and power, civil rights, citizenship, and wealth and influence. So that's it. And you see this beautiful drawing here, right? So the self working out in authority, right? So, yes. Yeah, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Any, anybody? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Overturn certain Wade, and and it is exciting. Um, but the, the unchurched are watching the church and accusing the church in many cases rightly because they call us profitas. But what about after we're born? That's where we need to step up our game. Yeah. Help the moms. Maybe adopt, maybe foster. Yeah. You know, it's not just for a couple people in the yeah. church to do. It's also worth noting that the church does do a lot, maybe not enough, and I grant right. that for sure. Right. Um, but I think they're missing, you know, where's your evidence that we're not doing anything? You know, where's your evidence that the church isn't the, doing the most about it versus, you know, people that are outside right. the church? But they're wrong in accusing in yeah. many times because, I mean, many of us do these yeah. things. Yeah. But... Um, let's not give them reason to accuse. Yes, that's good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We already have an infrastructure in place 
right? The crisis pregnancy centers are all yeah. over the place. Now they trash them, but now's the yeah. time to step up and support yeah. them. So I, I, mm -hmm. and, and Cookie, by the way, is the one to talk to about because she's a Okay. Yeah. I've got plenty of uh, ministries yeah. to share with you yeah. if you want to get involved. Yeah. And I, I, I think we've talked about it too, like the church, Christian people self-identifying as Christians are the, the big population that have had abortions. And a lot of it is because of how they feel like they don't feel like they would be accepted in the church. So we yeah. do have to yeah. be very vocal about helping our own yes. as well. That's a big percentage of the abortions. And the crisis pregnancies are doing are addressing that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think right now we need to be praying for their safety. Yeah, and that's true. Emails from from Lee Patco saying, "Pray for us that God will protect us." Mm -hmm. and, you know, and the Supreme Court justices, evidently yeah. they're putting their home addresses on the web. And, yeah, and they're protesting outside their homes. Yeah, pretty bad. It yeah, took a lot of courage to do. It did it really did. Yeah. Good. All right. Should I close this in prayer? Lord God, thank you for bringing your people together um, to discuss these important issues that that impact and affect so many people, children, um, and uh, people of all ages. Lord God, and thank you that we can have these discussions together candidly, candidly and lovingly and gently, Lord, and talk through some of these tensions uh, together as a family. And I just thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that you help us to be good ambassadors and have the same spirit when we are um, facing the world and with whatever sphere that we find ourselves in, Lord God, um, that we are responsible and that we remember whose kingdom we are primarily representing, Lord. And I just also ask for special protection um, over the pregnancy crisis uh, places and all of the pro-life um, organizations and groups and people uh, and the justices right now, Lord. And we ask that your hand and strength be on those making courageous decisions, not just in the courts, but um, when crafting policies, Lord, and that they don't seek to please man, but seek to please you and to do what's right, Lord. And we ask for your protection over us as a people in church as well. And we thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you found that episode to be a blessing and very useful. I certainly did. And again, I appreciated Brad's work in doing that while I was away. So, if you have any questions, though, for Brad, you can email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, look for Governed by God, uh, submit your question, send a message, and I can pass it on to Brad so that he could answer it. So again, thank you for tuning in, and until next time, take care and God bless.